Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. We believe that the diet of preaching comes from elders, and every now and then we'll have a non-elder come and preach. And uh, so this morning we have Karen. She is going to be preaching. Come up here. Um, Karen reminds me of the grace of God um, because I don't deserve the grace of God, and the grace of God is long-suffering, and uh, I, don't, I don't deserve Karen, and she is long-suffering. <laughs> Father, I want to thank you for this woman. Um, I want to thank you for the preparation that she's done, but more than that, I want to thank you that your spirit lives in her. I want to pray that you would activate uh, the gift of teaching that you've placed within her. I want to pray that you would give her um, what she needs in this moment. I want to pray that you would give us ears that are attentive to your spirit. And I want to pray that your name would be glorified. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Um, Such a delight to see you. And I get to see all of you from this vantage point, which is kind of fun. Um, So we're continuing in our series in Genesis. Um, We're we're working through a series called Like Father, Like Son. Um, And we've looked at this and we've seen the brokenness and the fallenness that we have all inherited from our families of origin directly and all the way back to the garden. There's just been repeated failure. Man just keeps messing up through fear or faithfulness. Um, And we see that we inherited some of those tendencies, but we also see the most incredible picture of a God who keeps rescuing, a God who keeps blessing, because this is a covenant-keeping God who has determined and promised that He wants all the families of the earth to know Him and to be blessed by Him. And so that's what we're continuing through. Last week, we looked at the story of Hagar and Ishmael, Um, and if you remember, we see her running Um, away. And uh, she's, you know, she's a slave. She has no prospects. And God meets her. Um, This person of absolute low social standing catches the ear of God. And God sees her and God hears her and God acts on her behalf. Um, And today we're looking through the next series and we're going to see a God who provides Um, So shortly after the story with with Hagar and Ishmael, God again appears to Abraham, and he says to Abraham that uh, he is God Almighty. That's how he introduces himself. I am God Almighty, and he enters into covenant with Abraham, and he promises Abraham that he's going to make his descendants um, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashores. He's going to multiply them, many nations, um, and he's going to bless them. And at this point, he changes their name to Abraham and Sarah, just in keeping with the covenant he's making with them. And God also promises a son to Sarah. Um, And Sarah hears that she's in the tent next door, and she overhears and she laughs. And it's an absolute physical improbability, impossibility, not improbability, impossibility for her at this stage. She's been barren her whole life, and now she's old. Her chances are... (laughs) negative at this point, and she laughs. Um, And what's interesting to see in this little interchange is that God comes to Abraham and says, why did Sarah laugh? And this is a man who, up until this point, we've seen him not necessarily guard or protect his wife. 
when Pharaoh found her attractive, he kind of said, well, go, pretend you're my sister. Um, when Hagar mocked her um, in her barrenness, he just he stood by and let that happen. But now God's calling him to account and saying, are you aware of the state of the soul of your wife? And as your husband, can you lead her through to a place of belief and trust and knowing that nothing is impossible for God? And then scripture tells us in Genesis 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he said. The Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. We see this faithful, faithful God who did what he promised in the fullness of his time. God is never in a hurry. God works on a different timetable to us, but God is always faithful to what he promises. And we'll look a little bit later at the birth of, of Isaac, um, but I want us to read the passage for today, which is Genesis 22. Um, and as we read, let me just remind us that this is the word of the Lord. It is living and it is active, and uh, so I encourage you to listen. Um, to, with fresh ears, with um, open ears to what the Spirit will tell you from a well-worn passage. Um, you know, Jesus himself said, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. Um, and this passage is just drenched in the gospel. So let's listen for, with fresh ears this morning. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, this man walked for three days, knowing what was lying ahead of him. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. And I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the knife and the fire, and they both went together. Then Isaac said to his father, my father, and he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order to bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and look, and behold, a ram was caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide and as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. How prophetic is this? And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, 
By myself I have sworn. No greater name by which God can swear. By myself, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and the sand is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. God, as we sit under your word this morning, would you help us to hear afresh? Help us to see you. Help us to rediscover truths of who you are. In Jesus' name. This morning, I want us just to look at three points as we work through this passage. And now you know how my brain works, so everything alliterates because that's how I remember things. So our three points is God purifies, God provides, and God promises. Um, And we're looking at the Lord who provides. But one of the things that God does is he purifies. And under the the purification, we're going to look at the reason and our response. Um, And it says, after these things, God tested Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. And he said, take your son and offer him up. So the reason for the testing, and we may not know in the minutiae and the specifics exactly what God is working out of us, but we know in the grand scheme what God is doing, and he's purifying and fortifying us. This is not the only time Abraham has been tested, but is surely the most severe and surely the sorest and greatest of all tests. We've seen Abraham tested before. He had to give up his land and his people. When God first came to him, he said, go, go without knowing. Leave your land, leave your people, go. And he sojourned in a land of which he owned nothing more than a grave. Um, He had to give up Lot and let Lot go his way, and he had to trust God. He had to give up his own made plan to, to create an heir out of Ishmael. And now the Lord says, will you give up your son Isaac? Um, And it says, after these things. So God has tested Abraham before, and Abraham has endured, and guess what? He gets to continue to enduring. We should not be surprised that as we continue to walk with God, that testing and trial does not cease. And often it increases in its severity. Um, Betsy Childs Howard says it like this, and I just loved her kind of perspective. And she says, when walking through a series of difficulties, I fall into a pattern. I desire to trust God, so my first response to the first trial is full of faith. Then a second one comes along, and I'm a little bit shaken. I've already shown God I trust him, so why is he demanding further proof? A third and a fourth tragedy really offends my sense of proportion and uncovers a false belief that I expected my initial trust to exempt me from further trials. This kind of mindset reveals a misunderstanding of what God desires from us. He's not looking for us to prove our faith so that we don't have to exercise it anymore. Trusting God isn't a lesson that we learn in order to move on to something else. It's a practice of the heart that we develop so we can keep applying it to every changing circumstance of our life. It's a muscle we must keep flexing to keep it strong. It's the basis of an ongoing relationship. So scripture tells us not to be surprised or be caught off guard with testing. But somehow I feel like we think, okay, made it through one? Okay, done. Well, (laughs) no. Um, God uses this testing to purify our hearts 
and to fortify our faith. And it's not a one-and-done process. It's an ongoing, continual process of His kindness to us. Trials come to prove the genuineness of our faith, which Scripture tells us is greater in worth than gold. And what will these trials result in? Praise, glory, and honor. God is committed to making us more like Christ. And so sometimes the fire has to be turned up um, to, to burn off the impurities of false loves and confidences. The things that, you know, we, we, when the temperature rises a little bit, we see what's really in our heart, right? You know the story about the parrot who's in the cage who can speak French and Latin and Italian. And when the cat jumps up, he still squawks, right? Because what's in the moment of pressure, what's really in you is what comes out. So great, yeah. So, so I'm going to tell you a story about uh, what was in my heart this week. <laughs> um, so I think most of you know that I've been substitute teaching and... Um, and, and I mean, I really I just enjoy it. It's all the fun of teaching without the 20 hours of, of grading papers, you know. Um, but uh, the kids always say, Nick says to me, I don't know why anybody listens to you. And I'm like, I don't either. But they just do. They just are very sweet. There's context to that. <laughs> <laughs> no context. That's just a general overarching statement. <laughs> Um, and the girls will say, you know, mom, sometimes kids will push you to see if you're really nice or if you're just pretending. And I'm like, I've never had an issue. And then came Wednesday. <laughs> so I, um, I'll be vague to protect the, well, maybe the not so innocent, but the young. We're protecting the young <laughs> in the story. <laughs> um, and I was at a high school somewhere. No. Sorry, it was at a school <laughs> with teenagers. And um, my kind of condensed and slightly cynical view of what happened is that they were taking kids on a field trip and they left behind the kids they didn't want to take on the field trip and combined them in a class and threw me to the wolves. <laughs> it's kind of what happened. <laughs> it's a little bit, a little bit like that. Um, and it was the first time in my life they just, there was blatant defiance, they wouldn't, you know, it was like, it was like this powder keg. I couldn't even, like, you know, call in the kids that hadn't bothered to show up because these ones were going to explode anyway. Um, so I kind of tiptoeing around, tiptoeing around, and this one sweet little girl's pulled out her iPad, and she's got Google Translate to say, can I help her with this math problem? And I'm trying to help her, and I look up, and all I'm going to say is that there were phones out and butts out. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, they really, they generally don't bother me. They don't. I can take the eye rolling. I can take the huffing and puffing. I can take the open mocking. They'll say, your voice is like so high and your accent is so funny. I'm like, hmm, thanks. I, you know, wake up every morning to practice both of those things. <laughs> what to tell you? <laughs> Doesn't bother me. But this moment, I, I was like, you know, it's bad when your teeth just come together. <laughs> no, absolute sit down over there. <laughs> just, just this moment, I was like, oh, there it is. There's the anger. It is in there still. It just has to get turned up a little bit to bubble to the surface. And sometimes that's what God is doing with us. You know, Jonathan Edwards says that the surest way to know our gold is to look upon it and examine it in God's surface. 
He tries it for the end that we may see what it is. It's not that God doesn't know what's in our heart. It's that we don't know what's still inside there needs to be dealt with. You know, and just keeping with the, the gold image, we, the, the city that we grew up in in South Africa um, is, is 50% of the world's gold is from um, Johannesburg. And so we grew up around gold. There's a whole theme park that you can go to called Gold Reef City, and you can go down a mine. And it's actually, you know, there's several processes involved in extracting gold. They've got a, you know, we would wake up in the night, and the ground would be shaking, like, <laughs> like the start of an earthquake. They're blasting miles under the earth to kind of break down the rock. And, and there's, you know, they slurry, they, oh, they do all kinds of things. Um, and then... Eventually, you know the, the one that you'll see the most is the crucible, right? Where they put it into the crucible and they heat it. So you can actually go in and watch them do this. And you sit in a little viewing area. And when they open that furnace, it is like it, it, the whole room heats instantly. It's over 2,000 degrees. And what they're doing is they're applying heat so that everything that is not gold will rise to the surface and get removed. And everything that is not, and it's not a, it's not a one and done process. This is something that happens repeatedly. And uh, when God is testing the metal of our faith, um, the gold of our hearts, it's, a, it's an ongoing, constant process where we see, oh, that is still in there. Oh, there's still that thing. Oh, okay, God. Would you just remove that from me? So that is the kind of overarching of what, is God, what God is doing. I, don't, I can't always explain the specifics of what he's doing. I don't necessarily know what impurity he may be pulling up right now, but I know overall that God is purifying and fortifying for my good so that I will receive um, the, the benefits in eternity. So what is our response to this? Um, well, in Abraham we see... Faithful obedience and worship. Um, it says, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled on his donkey, and took two men and his son Isaac with him. Um, and I don't want us to underplay the cost of what Abraham was asked to do. I mean, it, it didn't offend his sensibilities the way we did, it would ours now, because sacrifice of children was something commonplace in the world in which he lived. And we know this end of the story, God wasn't interested in Isaac's life. He was interested in Abraham's heart. Um, but it's such a grave cost to him that I don't want us to just skip over because the, the story is familiar to us. Um, when I was about, I don't know, 16 or 17, I came home one evening and I was like, oh, there's something in the driveway. Oh, that's a man in the, oh, that's a dead man in my driveway. The long in the story was somebody who lived on our property, he and his wife had got into it. She'd stabbed him and he had run out to get help and died in the driveway. And just looking at the scene, just the, the brutality, the finality, the death, the physicality of the scene, um, was overwhelming, and this wasn't a son that I loved. And how much more is God asking of Abraham in this scenario, ultimately representing what God the Father will finally pay in the death of his own son? So let's understand the cost that Abraham says yes to. 
And in this act of obedience, he is bowing the knee of his heart in humility and submission. And so too in our acts of obedience are we bowing our knees in humility and in submission. Um, obedience also trains us for what lies ahead. It was the leave your land that came, which Abraham obeyed, before lay down your son. So each act of obedience prepares us for the next act of obedience to come, um, prepares us for what God has in store for us. Um, I'm telling you all my angry stories today. <laughs> when I, this is one time I remember being so cross with my dad. I was so upset with him. And now I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> you know how that goes. Um, and I, he had taken me to register for college, right? College. I'm not six. <laughs> I'm going to college. And in this, back in the day, you couldn't do anything online. You had to actually go in and do it, you know? And so we get there, and my dad says to me, you have to talk to the person behind the counter. You have to ask the questions. You have to... Um, drive and initiate this conversation. And I was so cross with him because I didn't want to do it. I did not want to talk to another person. It just, it's terrible. <laughs> but I said yes, maybe with a lot of belly aching and anger in my heart, but I said yes. And if I had not said yes to that, I wouldn't have been able to say yes to today standing here and talking to you people. So God, is, God knows what he's doing, and every act of obedience brings humility and preparation for us. When I was 18, I had no idea what that simple step would eventually lead to. And the same thing for us now. God's making little requests because he knows what lies ahead of us. Um, and then he says, stay here to his, his servants. The boy and I will go over there and worship and come again to you. And he, he says it's an act of worship. Uh, and worship is an act of sacrifice. It's very often costly to worship God um, because it requires open hands. And there's this incredible connection between the posture of our hands and the posture of our hearts. Because open hands often lead to open hearts which is what God is ultimately after. Um, A.W. Pink says, May the Lord grant more of that power of faith, which with open hand takes every blessing that God gives, and with open hand gives back to him in the spirit of worship. If we're closed-handed, we're closed-hearted. And so God will often ask us to open our hands so that we can open our hearts. The act of worship is to bow oneself down. It's to face in adoration. And when Abraham was tested, he said to his servants that he and Isaac were going to bow down. We are going to worship. We are going to bow down. We are going to submit our will to God's will. And worship can be. It is. It absolutely is what we did this morning where we stand with believers and we sing and we remind ourselves of the truths and the wonder of who God is. But worship is also every quiet act of obedience. Yeah. It's every yielding of my will. It's every decision for holiness. It's every act of kindness. It's every choice for Christ-likeness. That is also worship. It's a bowing of a knee and a bowing of a heart. 
And we know that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice um, and, and that the, the altar was forever um, satisfied. But we also get to sacrifice ourselves. Romans tells us, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in view of God's mercies, because of what God has done for us, not in order to get these things, but because of, out of the place of God's mercies, we present, we surrender, and we yield our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. We make it acceptable um, to God, and this is our spiritual service of worship. We present our bodies as living sacrifices, as a spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be poured into the mold of the world. Don't be conformed into the thinking and the mentality and the values of this world, um, which are often in direct opposition and rebellion to God. But be continuously transformed, changed from the inside out, um, by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God, the good, acceptable, and perfect will. So we don't offer the ultimate sacrifice, but we do get to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, as acts of worship to God. So that is the God who purifies. And then we also see the God who provides. And here we're going to look at a slightly different lens um, on the father and son theme, because we're actually looking at this um, really intimate, tender, poignant story that unfolds between a father and a son, between Abraham and Isaac. And it's ultimately pointing to the grander moment, the greater story, the bigger narrative that is God the Father and God the Son. Um, and we get glimpses of God in Abraham and glimpses of Jesus in Isaac. And in Abraham, we see the tenderness of a father, and we see the deep cost of a father who's been called to sacrifice his son. We also see them going together in one accord. Such a beautiful picture. The two of them went together. The two of them went together. There's accord. There's agreement. There's unity. Um, and Isaac is a type of Christ in several different ways. Um, both Isaac and Christ were long-awaited sons of promise. They were born at the appointed time. In the fullness of time, both of them came in miraculous births. One was to an old, barren woman. One was to a young virgin. Neither of those should have happened in the natural. Um, we also see Isaac being Christ-like in his response to his impending sacrifice. Abraham lays the wood on the back of his son to carry it up the hill. And it's pointing towards Jesus, the ultimate son, who will carry the cross on his back on his way to being sacrificed for us. We see a son, and, you know, by this stage, Abraham, I mean, Isaac, is the son? Isaac. <laughs> Isaac is, he's not a little kid. He's strong enough to be carrying the wood up. He could have overpowered his father at any point in this process, but he chooses not to. We see a son who, without protest, submits to the, his father. And much like the Son of God, who opened not his mouth to his accusers, but to his father said, not my will, but yours be done. We also, in the story here, whispers of the resurrection. Hebrews tells us that by faith, Abraham, when tested by God, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. 
Abraham's faith is just amazing. Nobody has been raised from the dead at this point, but he can see this. He can see the God Almighty that has been revealed to him. And so there's whispers of the resurrection in this story. Um, And then the gospel is further preached, and beautifully so, when God provides a ram to be sacrificed in Isaac's stead. And this is pointing towards God's ultimate provision. One day, God the Father will not have the luxury of his hand being stayed at the last moment. But because of his great love for us, he will sacrifice his only son, whom he loves, as the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. It's just beautiful. And, you know, so we've looked at the people in this story, but also the place in this story is amazing. So he says, go to Moriah. And Moriah is just this really interesting place. Moriah will later become the place where David purchases a threshing floor in order to build an altar. There's a plague coming on the people, and David goes to this guy, and he says, I want to... I want to buy your threshing floor to build an altar to, to sacrifice to stop the plague. And the guy says, you're the king. Please have my land. And David says to him, no, I will not offer sacrifices that cost me nothing. And he buys the land from this man at cost so that he can build an altar and this plague can be stopped against the people of God. It's later the same place where Solomon builds the temple. David buys, Solomon builds, also at great cost. And then you know what this region becomes? It's the region of Jerusalem, where Calvary is, where the ultimate sacrifice will one day be made, where the plague of sin will be forever stopped, where the ultimate temple will be destroyed and rebuilt again in three days. It's just the gospel is just everywhere we look. Um, And Abraham, at his greatest point of need, sees the Lord's provision He calls it Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And to provide literally means to see. It's like God foresees. God sees the need and goes beforehand to provide it. It, Again, it's ultimately pointing to God who will um, provide fully and completely for us. It's not like God didn't know what was going to happen. It was like, oh, he's really going to do it? Oh, no, guys, quickly, throw a ram in the bush. (laughs) God, God knew. God knew what was in Abraham's heart. He had gone before and prepared the ram, knowing that Abraham would yield to him. Um, And God is not only the God who provides salvation for us, but he provides for us everything. Scripture tells us if he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how much more will he not give us graciously all things? And this is... I don't know, if you've walked with the Lord a long time, or maybe this is just me, this is just my, I kind of like, you know, it's okay, I'll do my part now. Okay, God, you took care of the big thing. Okay, you dealt with salvation. I'll, I'll, I'll handle it from here. You, you bought the movie tickets, I'll get the popcorn. Really? It's like, I feel better, like I can participate. And no, no, God is our ultimate provision for our salvation for the grandest, greatest need of our lives, and for the small, quiet, tender needs that we face every day. God is our provision. Um, Band, you guys can come on up. I'm going to just do the God promises real quick. I want us to have some time just to, to sit 
at the back end. Um, so we looked at the God who proves, we looked at the God who provides, and we look at the God now who promises. Um, and God at this point reiterates and confirms his promises to bless Abraham because of Abraham's obedience. And sometimes I look at that and I'm like, well, I'm not that obedient. So, you know, it's not going to work out so well for me. But guess what? I stand this side of the ultimate obedience of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus said yes to his father, yes to his will, yes about that tree, Jesus obeyed Jesus fully and completely. I stand in the inheritance of that. I stand in an imperishable blessing that is given to me because of Jesus. Um, God is not withholding. God is not a withholding God. He gave us his own son. How much more will he not graciously give us all things? And while the, the band starts to play, there's just three things I'd like you to sit with. We've got some time. I'd like you just to sit and say, is there something that God is asking me to lay down right now? Is there something God is asking me to open my hands from around? Or where do I need God's provision right now? Why is it difficult for me to ask for God's provision? Or what untruth do I still believe that makes it hard for me to trust God completely or believe that he promises to bless me. God, you are the eternal father of the Lord Jesus Christ. We remind ourselves that you created heaven and earth and all that is in them out of nothing. You still uphold and govern them by your wisdom and your providence for your name's sake. There is nothing that is too difficult for you. We trust you, God, so much that we do not doubt that you will provide whatever we need for body and soul and that you will turn to our good whatever adversity comes to us in this sad world. You are able to do this because you are almighty God. You desire to do this because you are a faithful father. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.